step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Armor Report. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining me. I'm Brett Rosenthal. This is our week in review. We do it every Saturday at 1130, so thanks for being here. So this is stock market investing. We're going to talk about the market's behavior last week, what's going to happen, what we think is going to happen next week, and how we're structuring our portfolio. So the Armor Report stands for Algorithmic Risk Management Research. Okay? So we begin by protecting capital. Then there's periods of time where we're adding a lot of risk because the window opens up, and that's what's happening right now. So I'm going to share with you how we take uh, ideas off of our whiteboard and build a portfolio today. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm doing, my own personal portfolio. So as always, this is a guide for how I like to run money, right? So you got to do your own due diligence, figure out your own risk tolerance, and structure a portfolio that suits you. I'm going to share with you the portfolio that suits me. Um, and I hope from um, witnessing this process, it helps you increase your net worth over time and follow the correct disciplines to be successful, no matter what type of market we have. So that's the point of today. We're going to go over the algorithms that we, you know, when I say the armor investing way, it's a three-stage process. We build our whiteboard. That's all of our research. We get ourselves ready before this day occurs so we know what stocks we want to own. We use the algorithms to tell us when to put capital to work. And we use stop losses to protect ourselves. So I'm going to walk you through that. So we'll go over the indexes. Then we're going to go over the groups that we're focused on here at the Armour Report. And then we'll drill down into what stocks represent those groups and express our view of what we think is going to happen to those particular groups and put together a portfolio. Of course, as always, I'll get to Q&A at the end. So um, feel free to fill up the the message board. uh, And we'll go through those at the end just, you know, Today should be a day where we spend a lot of time looking at charts and building lists. I got my pen and my piece of paper right here. You might want to grab one too so we can figure out what we want to focus on next week. Okay. As always, you can subscribe right here if you want to this channel, also to the Armor Report. Feel free to hit the like button if that's uh, something you like to do. And um, you can always, if you'd like to join us from a, from a standpoint of a free email alert, which we send out during the week, you can send an email request right there, info at thearmorreport.com, or you can always click up here uh, on that button right there for the free report. All right? So without further ado, let's dive into um, the stock market. We're going to start with a picture. Oh, not this one. This is perhaps my favorite uh, stock to buy next week, or maybe we bought it last week. I'll tell you. But let's start with the indexes. Okay? So there's the S&P. There's the long-term trend that we're in. We touched that bottom of the trend, and we broke that trend uh, to the upside last week. So for all of you who are longtime Armour Insiders, you know we have what I call the risk monitor. In fact, why don't I just show you real quick um, 
so you can see how this works. So Armor Insider, there are subscribers. You click on that button, Armor Insider, it's going to take you into um, basically these four tiles right here are, is, is the way we express our information. And right here is the risk monitor. So the last time I updated it was September 10th. By Monday morning, first thing, you're going to see that date change, okay, to um, uh, really the, uh, the 15th, okay? And it's going to say risk monitor is now green, okay? So how do we get the risk monitor green? We follow, we have algorithms that we've written for the top seven indexes that in our opinion drive, um, not drive, not in our opinion, they drive our risk decisions, but these seven indexes illustrate the professional flow of capital. See, the individual investor, you and, you and I, we've got to get on the right side of where institutions are going. They're the big elephants you know, in the Serengeti and where cheetahs running through their legs. So the object is to figure out where they're heading and get to that water hole first, okay? And so when the elephants of institutional money, I mean like billions of dollars, start going in a particular direction, it would help us if we know. And that's what the algorithms are all about. It's a probability algorithm. So obviously it means not right 100% of the time. This isn't a crystal ball here. But um, a statistically significant amount of the time when we get risk monitor green, it tells us the market's going higher. Now, we don't know how high. We don't know for how long, right? The rally could last two weeks and peter out. I don't know. Or this could be the beginning of the Q4 rally that goes to the end of the year and the blow-off top and what's been an unbelievable market. I, I don't know. But what we do is we look for these entry points, and when we get them, we know probabilities are at their highest, and the reward to risk is right, and that's when we commit capital, okay? So the seven indexes, the big indexes, the S&P, the NASDAQ, the Dow, and the small cap, and then behind that, we follow the momentum index, the value index, and the IBD 50, and those seven show us the direction. So let's go take a quick look at what's going on here. Um, Actually, before I walk you through, I want you to see how, as I walk you through, you're going to see how every index almost looks the same. They're all breaking a downtrend at the same time. And you've heard me say over and over that confluence is king for the armor investing way. Confluence. So it's not just one index gives us a, a risk on entry point. We have seven algos. So there could be one or two that give an entry point. We don't go risk on green. It doesn't change the risk monitor because one or two is not an institutional footprint. But when all of them look the same, that confluence tells you is a lot of capital being put to work. And it's almost indiscriminate. It's going into value. It's going into momentum. It's going into the IBD 50, which are your um, innovative type of stocks. I mean, it's going into small caps. It's going into the Dow. That's not just little bits here and there. That's real money being put to work. And that's when we want to put our capital to work. So let's take a quick look. Here we go. Um, what we've got really right here is an established uptrend. Now, I know fundamentally we're all talking about it. Don't forget, we've been risk monitor red all the way up until Friday. Okay. So from here, right at the top, all the way down to here, it's all the way, it's like a 5% correction. The risk monitor was telling us, beware, something's wrong with the market. And then we can talk about all the things that are wrong with the market, all right? But I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing that today. It's risk monitor green. We have a five-day window to put capital to work. 
It's possible our stops get hit. We go back to cash. And I talk to you next week about all the problems with the market. But there's always a wall of worry. There's always reasons why you cannot put money to work. Okay. And the whole point of the armor investing way is to get rid of that noise. Okay. Just get rid of it and execute because you really, you find out later what's really going on. So I can say to you, well, uh, the Fed's reducing liquidity, the Fed's tapering, the market should go down. That could be true. And the market should go down and it could happen three months from now. I mean, January, February, March could be a disaster next year for all I know. But where we are today, market's breaking out, right? So we can't just force our will on the market and say the market has to go down because the Fed's tapering. Not true. You know, the market will go down when it wants. And before I, I know I keep wanting to show you these indexes, but I just want to share this thought. You know, in 1987, the market crashed in, in, in October, okay? And for four months, the bond market was imploding. And somebody could say to you, for those four months, the market has to go down. The stock market has to go down. The bonds are collapsing. The stock market has to go down. That person would have eventually been right. Like four months later, the market crashed. But for those four months, the market was skyrocketing. I mean, you have bonds going down and markets went like this because they went into a, a blow-off top before the crash, okay? So being a perpetual bear doesn't really help anybody. And I love those guys on, on Twitter and whatever else you find them on YouTube or whatever, and they talk about, hey, I was right, the market crashed. Well, I mean, if you've been talking about a market crash for like two years while the market doubles and then it finally crashes, you're not really right. Okay, so we try to get rid of all of that stuff. I don't make predictions on what's going to happen next. We just look at algorithms and we say risk on now. We know where our stops are. We put capital to work. Take a look at the institutional footprint here. So you have this long-term uptrend. All we did was pull back right to the uptrend, risk on buy signal, break above the 50-day. That's the S&P. Let's go look at um, the triple Qs. Okay. So this had a much more explosive move off of the bottom last year. And so we start our trend right there, okay? Whereas the S&P's trend starts down here. The NASDAQ trend is clearly right up here. So it had this rip off of the low, and then it started to chug away into this uptrend. You can see the patterns almost identical in the, in the NASDAQ as it was the S&P. Higher low, double bottom, right at the trend line, closes above the 50-day moving average, okay? Now, there's a lot that goes into the algorithm, so it's not just a close above the 50. There's a whole bunch of things that happen. We've had moves above the 50 before, and we don't get a risk-on buy signal. So it's, this is so obvious this time around that I wanted to show you how, from a confluence standpoint, they all look exactly the same. Let's go to the Dow now. The Dow looks exactly the same, right? We could draw this trend line right here, and we're breaking that trend line and closing higher triple bottom on the moving average. Look at small caps. Small caps actually have been outperforming the last few months. They've been in an uptrend. While the, mark, while the big indexes are going down, the small ones have been going up. You can see they're making higher lows since August. Okay, and, and Friday's close notwithstanding, that's a real nice breakout above the 50-day. Who knows? It could come down and close the gap. It's possible, right? But that's the right setup. Now let's look at momentum together. Momentum is about to break to an all-time high for the year, well, actually an all-time high period. So momentum stocks don't even know the market went down for a month. How bad can the market be? I thought there was a big taper going on. How are momentum stocks about to break out to an all-time high? 
These are the leadership stocks, and they're leading the market. And then let's flip over to value. I love looking at momentum and then value. Because one usually goes down while the other is going up. But look at value. Value has now made a nice bottom right on the 200-day moving average and broke the downtrend on Friday. And then we'll wrap it up with the IBD 50, which are your more aggressive growth stocks. So it's been all over the place. But truth be told, the innovative stocks are in an uptrend. While the market was going down for the last couple of months, or the last month or two, you're getting this kind of an uptrend going on here in um, in the IBD 50. So all of them are showing you this movement. And so the risk monitor is great. Now let's get into how to build a portfolio. For those of you who are new to investing, or you know, um, even those of you who have been doing it for a long time, I. I have, you know, I have whiteboards back there. I got a whiteboard above my desk here. You can't see. And I find it really helps me to visualize how I want to build my portfolio. So I got a whiteboard of all of my favorite names in the portfolio. Again, that's, you know, if you looked at um, the Armour Report, you click on you know, the whiteboard and boom, it takes you into all of the stocks we own. But not own, but all the stocks we've done research on that we have an interest in, names at the top of the board that we want to own, and then you know all of our favorite names are on this list. Okay, so the question is, how do you take your favorites? And I, I, you don't have to use my favorites. I suggest you create your own whiteboard. Okay, so the Armor Investing Way is a three-stage process to simplify the noise out there in investing and help you execute. So. The reason we do a whiteboard, I find a lot of people um, do research on an idea and love it so much they buy it right away. And that's, that's not how to run money. That's not how to invest. Just because you love it doesn't mean it's going up. So what I like to do is have a whiteboard. I find an idea, I throw it on the whiteboard. I do research on it. I let it percolate. I let it mature. And then when the algorithms give me an entry point, I find which um, stocks on that whiteboard fit the market. You know, seven out of 10 stocks follow the market. So I want to go with that probability. It helps increase my success rate. So um, what do I do now that I've got the whiteboard set up? I'm looking at different groups trying to figure out where am I going to create edge? Where's my alpha going to come from? So there, there are you know, different ways to run money. I'm going to share with you what I'm doing this time around. And quite frankly, I do it differently depending on the market environment. So, for instance, last year after the market crashed, we went to cash, you know, late February at the top, the market crashed, and we started putting money to work right at, near the bottom. I put about 50% of my capital into precious metal stocks at the time, okay? That wasn't necessarily the only way to go. There was many different ways to do it. It's just I felt most comfortable in precious metals and the stocks at that time. I had a nice run in those names. There were many different ways to do it. So I'm just going to share with you what fits for me and what makes me comfortable, you guys have your own comfort levels. So today, when I look at the market, I've decided that I want a certain percentage of my assets in the indexes. So we have an Armour index only portfolio. That's under the portfolio part of the Armour website, right? And it shows you what stocks we own. And it shows you our index only portfolio, which indexes we own or whether or not we have cash. So Thursday, we were 100% cash in that index-only portfolio. Friday, we're 100% long in that index-only portfolio. Every index gave us a risk on entry point at the same time. 
When we get that confluence, put money, we put all the money to work. And I've had people ask me, well, if that thing works and it's successful, why do you buy bothering individual stocks? And it's true. It is successful. It does work. I could just run money that way. I guess it's because I've been doing this for over 30 years, and half the fun is finding um, um, an investment idea and, and, and watching it really create wealth over a long period of time. So I've had a lot of successes like that, and I love doing that research, and that's why I buy individual stocks. I could change my entire approach to just, you know, scalping the indexes from a day trading standpoint, which we've been killing it doing, using algorithms for that, and then using the algorithms by the indexes. And, you know, probably it would make life easier. I can go fish and, you know, play some golf and let the indexes do their thing. And I can buy twice or three times the performance of the indexes through the uh, ETFs there two or three times and, and be done with it. But I never will. So what I will do on a particular cycle, like the one we're in right now, is I'm going to commit 25% of my capital to the indexes. And I'm going to be buying twice the performance of the indexes. So I day trade the triple ETFs, but I invest in the double ETFs for swing trading purposes. So why am I doing this? I'm going to put 25% of my capital in the top four indexes, which will give me 50% exposure, right? Because I'm buying twice the indexes, to market volatility going forward. I view this as a lower risk approach than a portfolio that's 100% individual stocks. So what I'm saying is, in a nod to the fact that the Fed's reducing liquidity or says they're going to, in a nod to the fact that bonds don't look great, okay, so let's just take a quick peek at bonds. They recovered a little bit this week. Okay, this is the treasuries, right? So this is a breakdown that's a problem, and it had a couple days up, so okay, all right, but this bothers me. This pattern bothers me. It means rates are going up, okay? And I watch LQD cl closously. This is uh, in investment-grade bonds. Right, any real problems in the world are going to re uh, um, reverberate first through investment-grade and high-yield debt, and equities generally follow. So you can see that this, this uh, investment-grade debt got whacked um, for a couple of weeks, and equities followed. Then investment grade bounces last week and equities are quick to recover. All right, so if this is just noise in an overall sideways trend, then the market can go higher. If this thing implodes again next week, it probably will be a problem for the portfolio. So we have to watch these closely. Okay, so in a nod to the fact that I don't like the Fed reducing liquidity and I don't like the fact that interest rates might go up next year and I don't like the way uh, bonds are trading, I get a risk on green signal and I say, how do I structure a portfolio? I'm still going to take that signal every time I'm going to put money to work. But how do I structure it? Um, how do I structure it this time to, to recognize the higher risk in the situation? And for me, that's committing 25% of the ca capital to, to indexes, because obviously with an index, I don't have single stock risk. And if an index drops 2%, that'll be terrible that day, right? But individual stocks generally are dropping 5 6 7% that day, right? So indexes get wrecked. Individual stocks are getting destroyed. So I want more liquidity and I want less volatility for a quarter of my assets, and that's where I'm putting them. Okay? Now, 
I could be even even more conservative, and I don't have to buy the, the two X ETFs. I could just buy the individual indexes and to figure out how much capital I want there, right? Um, instead of 50% exposure to the market, I can have 25% exposure to the market, right? <clears throat> so everybody's different. I'm just sharing with you a, a basic structure for you to think about. I want you to understand how I view this risk on green signal. It's there. I'm putting money to work, but I'm carving out some of my capital and using indexes only to lower some of my, um, my beta. Then what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm looking at macro um, – um, I don't know if event's the right word, but what type of market are we in right now? When the Fed's raising rates, reducing liquidity, and the market goes up anyway, and interest rates are going up, the first group I want to have in the portfolio is obviously financials. I don't usually buy financials, but I'm trying to structure a portfolio that can weather a difficult market. We could have risk monitor green that goes up with a lot of this, okay? And it might end up over time with a lot of whipping around. So I don't want to over allocate to my favorite group, for instance, which is technology. I mean, sometimes I could be 50, 60, 70% tech. I can't do that in this market. I guess that's the point of today's conversation. I can't do that in this market. So I'm going, to, I'm going to divide it into pools where I can, I can get a better, um, um, a more balanced approach to my, to my portfolio in this risk monitor green signal, okay? So some for the indexes for me, some for financials. You could do financials any way you want. Here are two of my favorite names, okay? J.P. Morgan, we got past the earnings announcement comes right down off of earnings. So it ran up into earnings, sells off into earnings, puts in a little double medium bar bottom at the 50-day and at the support. That's a perfect entry point for me. So I'm looking for stage one or stage two basis. That's generally what I'm looking to buy. For those of you who don't know what a, what a base is, you might want to look at the book, How to Make Money in Stocks by William O'Neill. How to Make Money in Stocks by William O'Neill. It's a great book for anybody who wants to learn the process. But I'm going to, uh, in some cases, when we look at these charts together, I'm going to show you where the bases are. So here's base number one. That was the breakout. Runs up here. Here's base number two. How do I know where the bases are? Well, look, technical analysis is a bit of an art and a science, okay? So let's don't get lost in the weeds of how to draw things. But a basic rule of thumb if you're trying to find the correct entry points, a basic rule of thumb. Stage one basis to me, this is my opinion, so let's don't debate it. This is how I run the money. This is what I do. There's many different ways to look at a chart. Stage one bases are generally around the 200-day moving average. Stage two bases are generally around the 50-day moving average. So what I'm trying to say is I want to find a stock that's consolidated for a time right around the 200-day moving average and starting to make a move off of a consolidation. That's my favorite entry point. But almost just as great is that second stage base because you already have the explosive move up, which is, which is um, raised the idea into the minds of more people because now they all see that first move and they want to get on the second move. And that second move starts with a consolidation around the 50-day moving average. The bigger the base, the better the move. So this is a base goes back to February. 
if it breaks out from here, right, then you, what you do generally, a technical analyst would say, if this is the base here, then I turn this line, this green line on its axis, and I can get an idea of how high the stock can go if this breakout works. So the bigger the base, the higher the stock can run off of that base. Okay, so Goldman Sachs is the second name. So JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs are my favorite two ways to play it. Same type of chart patterns. Stage one base breakout here. And you can, you can move this down a little bit in the, right, right into there if you want. Okay, stage one base here. That was the breakout. And it runs and doesn't touch the 50 until right here. And it starts a whole new base. And it's been building that base since May. It just breaks out right there. Remember this chart pattern. We're going to see it again in a minute with the semiconductor stock. Okay? But we'll get to tech in a minute. So there's many different ways to play uh, uh, financials. I like those two big names. We just got through earnings last week, which were blowout, okay, and the stocks look geared to go higher. I know that the, the, the um, insurance stocks look great. You can go look at the insurance stocks. Um, the second-tier brokerage stocks look great. Um, and maybe we could just run through a couple of it if it helps you. Like, here's Stiefel Nichols. So it used to be Nichols. It's just Stiefel now. Stiefel's breaking out of a base. You can see that. How about our Raymond James, RJF? Raymond James is breaking out. And let me just tell you something right now. Even Interactive Brokers, which, uh, you know, look at that. Look at that breakout, Interactive Brokers. What's Charles Schwab? I can't remember that. S-C-H-W, is that what it is? Charles Schwab is breaking out. All right, now, what does this mean to me? All of these brokerage stocks breaking out. Generally, if the brokerage stocks are breaking out, the stock market's going up. That's generally the rule of thumb. More people are interested, more M&A deals, more trading going on. So when you see brokerage stocks breaking out, they can be leading the whole market. And if you look at this group, I could own every single one of these brokerage stocks. Seriously. Maybe I should. I look at Schwab, and I think I should be owning Schwab. I'm going to write that one down. SCHW. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with owning the ETFs, right? You could go with XLF. Look, XLF is about to break out. Okay, KRE, regional banks are looking to break out. KBE, all right, the bigger banks are breaking out. All right, so you can see all those chart patterns look great. They're coming off a huge basis. So I want to have some exposure. And in fact, the more I look at this today, I'm wondering if 10% exposure to the, to the financials is enough. Maybe it should be 20. Um, I'll have to think about that. I view the J.P. Morgan and the Goldman Sachs financial space is kind of tied to the Dow Jones, right? So when the Dow goes up, those names go up. They're in the Dow. So I'm going to be I'm, I'm adding shares of the Dow of the portfolio, and I'm augmenting it with more financials, okay? So now let's move on to uh, the next group that I would own at a time when interest rates are going up and inflation is going up. And I know you can all say it with me at once. Commodities, right? Commodity stocks. So I have about a, if I look at my whiteboard, 10% financials, 32.5% commodity stocks. And these are just ballpark figures. I might even change them as I do this research with you this weekend. 
okay? Um, but for right now, I'm throwing it out there. So I really like commodity play. We started last week with gold and silver. I just don't think there's any way commodities really take off without gold and silver joining the fray, and they've been in a massive downtrend. So what we're doing here is trying to buy a stage one base. Hasn't even broken out yet. Had a nice run, and then Friday gave a bunch of it back. Silver. Okay, silver actually held up better than gold. But what you're seeing here is we're buying the bottom of a base. This is much more difficult to make money when you're buying the bottom of a base. Okay, you've got to be more patient. It doesn't have to take off right away. And the reason for that is there's a lot of overhead supply. A lot of people are trapped in silver at higher prices. So when it runs, they knock it back down. And that's what happened with gold on Friday. But if we can continue to make higher lows in here, right, and there's the double bottom, if we can make higher lows in here, if this bottom holds, then I think we look back three to six months from now and the price of gold's a lot higher and we ended up buying in right at the beginning of the move. And another reason I feel that way is I look at the mining stocks. So two things you wanna know about the precious metal space. Number one, silver usually leads gold. And number two, the mining stocks lead the metal. Okay? so. Um, I have avoided this entire sell-off in here, especially the breakdown below that key double bottom. But we have an immediate reversal recovery. That looks like a shakeout of a double bottom and a close above the 50 on GDX, the gold miners. That's very constructive. We're long that position. And then we like the silver miners, the small caps. Okay? Small caps broke the downtrend. They all look good. Um, that's how we want to play. And then let's just run through a couple more um, commodity plays. We added copper last week, COPX, which is a, a way to play copper stocks from all over the world. This is an ETF, COPX. We bought that asset right in here, and it just blew out. Actually, we bought it this day right here, okay? Took off. And, of course, the granddaddy of them all is, is uh, Freeport Macaran. And we bought that right here. So you can see what we're looking for. Downtrend, we like to buy weakness in the midst of strength. Huge uptrend in copper, then a sell-off since May, breaking the downtrend here. The commodity super cycle is coming. And it's being led by energy. Energy broke out a couple weeks before copper. All right? And I'm not on energy right now. I've got an allocation. I'm waiting to find my way in. I don't chase anything. So... This thing took off. I'm letting it go, and I'm filling up a portfolio with copper and silver and gold, okay? And lumber, lumber prices look to be on the move. Louisiana Pacific is coming on, and Boise Cascade is starting to come on, okay? And then I don't think you can have a commodities portfolio with a little, without a little taste of rare earth. So I'm going to throw out their MP again. When MP gets going, boy, it can rip. So got a piece of MP. It hasn't even started yet. I mean, we bought it right actually right in here, and it popped up on Friday. But it, it hasn't even begun. It doesn't get started until it breaks this downtrend. Okay? So moving on, the last two segments of my portfolio, I'm always going to have some in technology. Earmarked 20%. I just can't help myself. Here are my favorite tech names, and I'm going to go with big cap tech now. Okay? I want liquidity in a difficult market. I want liquidity. The number one 
tech stock, I feel like I have to have in a portfolio is AMD. I just think that chart pattern is unreal. There's the blowout. There's the pullback to the 50-day. You're really still, you're still in the first stage base right there. It blew out, just pulled back and tested, held the 50, broke out by the end of the week. This thing could get legs. And I think that right next to it is NVIDIA. And so here's my thought process. It's big cap. It's tech. It's in the NASDAQ 100. The NASDAQ 100 looks good. That's why these things are going out. But in the back of my mind, I realize and I remember that these companies make the products that people use to mine crypto. So for a guy who doesn't really like putting my own capital in crypto miners, I like to find a way to play in that space. These are the two best ways to play it. So that's just a thought to have in the back of your mind, all right? And there's many different semi-stocks you can buy, many, okay? These are just two of my favorites with the chart patterns to match. So when I remember I said, do you remember this chart pattern on Goldman Sachs? It's the same exact pattern on NVIDIA. So look at NVIDIA and now look at Goldman Sachs. Take a picture in your mind. It's the same pattern. Okay? Stage one base in NVIDIA blows out, then makes a consolidation pattern since July, and it's just now breaking out again. Open season on semis. Any semi you like. Now, a um, couple quick names to throw at you. Uh, along with it. I can't help myself, but I had to own shares of Amazon, and we added them on Friday. I don't know what's cooking at Amazon, but that is a double bottom extraordinaire right on the 200-day moving average. And I think I'm going to get rid of this right here. And uh, we're just going to go like that. You don't need to see anything else. This is a huge consolidation, downtrend, double bottom, big volume spike coming in, on an, up, on an up day Friday. That just looks phenomenal to me. I don't know why, but I got to own that pattern. I don't know exactly. I'm never going to know what's going on inside of Amazon. Find out later, whatever it was. But that just looks like a no-brainer entry point to me. Okay? And then don't forget Microsoft. It's just like the, um, as Investors Business Daily called it, the safety blanket of, <laughs> of investing. So we've owned this thing all the way up on this uptrend right here. And then we got, I wouldn't say shaken out. I mean, our stop was hit as it went below the 50. So now it recovers the 50. I'm just reestablishing that position. So, you know, it's just a leader in NASDAQ 100. And I'm reestablishing what was shaken out on that breakdown. Okay. So those are some of my top big cap names. Now let's end with um, a handful of special situations. Let me explain what that means. I'm looking for small cap to mid-cap companies that dominate a space that have something unique where they have really no competition, the growth is open-ended. Um, th those are the type of names I'm looking for. So high-margin businesses, new businesses where they have no competition, um, explosive quarterly growth, growth coming through. You know, the, the innovator type of names that you might find on the IBD50 list. There's many of them. Here's a couple that we own in the portfolio. Pure storage is a name I, we've liked for a long time. That, listen to that last conference call. The stock blew out on earnings. You should listen to that call. Um, this business is finally, I think, um, coming through. So I'm looking for this. This thing just, I mean, look at it. It just really took off. And it's made a nice pattern right on top of its base. Okay? And um, 
I think there's some be some there could be some real legs here in this business. So that double bottom at the 25-day moving average is enough of a pullback for me off of that gap up, and I think that gap won't get filled. I'm expecting that thing to go. So PSTG. Um, here's a fun one. Funko. We had an Armor Insider bring this to our attention uh, in our Slack room last week, and I was on the conference call listening to what's going on inside the company. This is an interesting little idea. I'm not going to tell you the fundamentals. Go do your own research on this. But from a technical analysis standpoint, the risk reward's perfect there. Big run, pullback, support going back, you know, through July, right at the 200-day and the 50-day. That stock could get legs from here. And um, I can't believe I'm throwing my hat in the ring here, but I, I just got to own shares of AMC. This is a special situation, not all small or mid-cap, whatever. It's a special situation. We know what happened here with that explosion. And then we have this double bottom in a pennant. If there's ever a time to own AMC, it's here. I don't know if Wall Street bets and those guys are going to juice the stock again and you'll get a gamma squeeze extraordinaire. I don't know. But the entry point is right, so I'm adding it there. And a part of me thinks, really, there's an economy reopening process. And there's some stocks that are really worth looking at. I just went to the movies for the first time in over a year with my wife. We went out and we saw the, the new um, um, Sopranos prequel, right? And I just, I can't tell you how much fun we had getting out and going to the movies. I, I think people are completely um, underestimating what's going to happen in movie theaters once people decide they can start going back. I, I, think, I think it's going to be a crush I know a lot of people are out there saying, oh, no, everyone likes watching movies at home. They don't need theaters anymore. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. Go try it. Go try it. You go have a date night. Take your wife out. Take your girlfriend out. Okay? Take your husband out, boyfriend, whatever. Go. Go have a date night. Go grab dinner and go see a movie. If you have to wear a mask, wear a mask. Just go do it. And you'll remember, oh, wow, I really like this. <laughs> this, is, this is great. It's a huge screen. It's fun to get out. So from a fundamental standpoint, there could be some a real interesting fundamental reason to own this thing on top of the fact that, who knows, we might wake up one day and there's a gamma squeeze. I don't know. Um, and along with that, I just, you know, let's add, I don't own this yet, but I'm looking at Match, right? People are going to start dating again. People are going to start going out, right? And, um, and I think uh, I'm looking at Expedia. These are special situation type of names to me. I like that chart pattern too. Okay, guys, those are my thoughts for today. So look at your whiteboard, figure out what percentage you want in each group, and then you decide which names fit under each group, and then you can figure out what your percentage is on each idea. So if you've got, you know, 20% you're going to allocate the tech and you've got five ideas, boom, you know what percentage you're putting in each idea. And that's how I build my portfolios. I hope this has helped today for you. Let's go look at your Q&A and um, see if we can't find some more uh, interesting ideas, special situations we can all share. All right, let's just go through it. Um, what do we got here? LD, let's go. Hey, all right. Um, hey, Ares, good morning. Nice to see you, man. Um, okay, so someone thinks here, let's take a look at S&P. Ridiculously overvalued. Corrects it'll bury all of my growth stocks. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I would just say this, LD. Uh, I don't ever, ever 
make an investment decision based on what I think is overvalued or undervalued or what someone tells me on CNBC is overvalued. Because the real important factor to remember when it comes to valuation is liquidity in the system. So you can't look at a P.E. ratio and say this ratio is too high historically, so it's overvalued, without looking at the amount of liquidity in the system. You, you follow me? So if you want to tell me that liquidity is going to be drained out of the system, everything's overvalued, right? If liquidity continues to increase in the system, then there's no, Things aren't overvalued. I mean, obviously, some things get out of hand because they, they skyrocket. But from the S&P standpoint, it really has to do with how much liquidity is sloshing around. And it's got nowhere else to go. So the valuation question to me is more of a liquidity question. This is what makes me concerned about the market. If the Fed really wants to taper and they do it and liquidity comes out, then the market's going to go down. But I wouldn't put it past the Fed. I mean, the Fed knows what you know and what I know. Everybody knows when the Fed tapers, the market craters. And I know this is going to sound like a crazy conspiracy theory, okay? But if the market starts going up and we're trying to figure out why, I submit to you this is a reason. The Fed knows that everyone expects the market to crater when they taper. The Fed has ways of supporting the market that you and I are never going to see. I wouldn't put it past them to talk about tapering, to taper somehow, and at the same time boost the market so it changes the perspective, right? I'm just saying, I wouldn't be surprised to see the market run while the Fed's tapering. And then the um, news stories you'll see on CNBC will be, hey, uh, Fed's tapering and the market's going up anyway. And that's exactly the, the, the um, a news cycle that the Fed wants to create. Because nobody wants another taper tantrum and the market craters in four weeks and drops 20% like it did in what was it, 2018 and 2015. So the Fed knows that. They're not stupid. So they've got to figure out how to get money out of the system and make it look like they're not. And one way is to support the equity markets. Maybe. Is that why the market's going up? I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Let's move on before I get too, too, too far into the weeds. What's my opinion on the Bitcoin run? Um. Um, Bitcoin run. So there's just a grayscale Bitcoin. I mean, you know, it's it's running back up into this area. Um, is it the beginning of the move to a hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin, as everyone's telling me? Oh, geez. Let me think about that for a minute. Well. So we're above 60,000 on Bitcoin, and partially it's because everybody expects next week an announcement of an ETF that will be a Bitcoin futures ETF. I don't know. I mean, you could say I'm talking my book because I'm not long crypto, but that just that just smells this run up into the run up into the announcement of an ETF for Bitcoin futures seems to me like a classic sell the news scenario. So if you want to tell me that Bitcoin is going up for some other reason, I'm all for it. But if Bitcoin's running up into the announcement of an ETF, 
I don't know what's so exciting about it. And here's a here's a longer term opinion of 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 um, of that. I don't I don't know how exciting it is to have um, more and more and more Bitcoin futures being bought or sold. I know that um, the government controls the precious metals market through futures. You know, there's an unlimited ability for the government to go out there and hammer gold futures. They do it all the time. So at some point, government can do that. But they have unlimited pockets. I don't know. You can all can tell me that the government will go bankrupt doing it. I, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I don't know if it's a great thing that people can run out and buy an ETF that uses futures to buy Bitcoin. Here's another thought. Um, I'm not sure there's a lot of people out there left who don't own the Bitcoin that they want to own. I, I can't see there's going to be a massive amount of people buying a Bitcoin ETF. I mean, they'll trade it. They'll, they'll trade it. I'll be out there trading it probably. But at the end of the day, if I want to own get Bitcoin, I have, I, look, I own Bitcoin personally through my Coinbase account. It's not a big position. I just have a piece of that, a little piece of Cardano and some Ether just to make sure I have my, my finger on the pulse, if you will. But um, I don't know. Those are my thoughts off the top of my head. You know, those are my thoughts. My favorite Bitcoin miner after doing some research last week is this little guy right here, Bitfarms. And I'm, I, I'd like to own this name. I think this, talk about valuation, this is undervalued compared to its peers like Riot and Mara. Do some research on this guy. It's a pretty interesting story. So those of you who have an interest in those, and, and it's, it's something that could end up in my portfolio, actually, BitFarms. It could. Moving along. I think Chad just had a conniption. He can't believe that I just said BitFarms might, might end up in my portfolio. Chad, are you out there? You okay, brother? Um, Hey, good morning, Stephen. How are you? And you're welcome for the guidance. Thanks for um, being a, a a wonderful addition to the armor army of analysts in our Slack room every day sharing ideas. You got some great thoughts. Saber, um, if money starts to flow in stocks, do you think it will flow out of gold? No, I, I don't. Um, I don't. I don't. I think that what's if money starts to flow into stocks, money's Money's been flowing into stocks. I don't think gold is tied to what stocks do. I think that there's a time where the commodity super cycle is going to start. I think that commodity super cycle has started, and I don't think it can really unfold without gold and silver going up. So I'm looking for the right entry point. And let me tell you something, Saber, I don't want to pay for these things when they're up. You cannot. It's almost impossible. I mean, of course you can, right? But you cannot make money in metal stocks when they're already running. You have to find an entry point close to the stop, put your position on, and walk away. And then when we wake up, when we come in Monday morning, and gold's up 2%, and everyone else is talking about it and screaming about it and trying to buy it, we're already on. right? So I'm not chasing it. I've got my position on. Now I'm going to walk away and let it do what it's capable of doing, as Wim Hof would say. All right. What are your thoughts on Subaru? Uh, what's the symbol on Subaru? I don't even know. And I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of car companies. I'd rather, you know, certainly Ford's been doing great and, um, and GM has been moving higher. But here are my two favorite ways to play the auto industry and the evolving electronic vehicle industry. Okay, MGA makes the drivetrains for combustion and EV. Um, so that looks really good to me, breaking the downtrend there. 
And thanks to Brian B. on the uh, armor, an armor analyst in the Slack room, sharing the idea on Borg Warner last week. I mean, it had a bad close on Friday, but I think Borg Warner and MGA are really interesting stories. Long-term beneficiaries of the transition to EV with a you know, major market share hold on um, building the products that go inside of all the cars. And then I don't have to guess which one's going to work, a Subaru or a Ford or a, you know, anything like that. That's my opinion. COP. Um, I think I love the COP idea. Oh, ConocoPhillips. Boy, you're a long con- Well done, Robert, brother. Well done. You know, I, I hesitated, and I'm a little bit frustrated with myself. I hesitated on the energies, and they blew out. Okay, so I'm waiting for pullbacks to the 50-day for me to get to get long. It's Conoco Phillips works. I like see I like Chevron a lot. You know, um, I'm a big fan of Helmrich and Payne, which I think is the every cycle it's the best uh, land-based drilling stock. So I'm, I'm looking there, and of course I really want to own the pipelines. So they they popped in here, but they usually don't run away. So they they pop and then they consolidate. So when they consolidate, I'll be adding pipelines. But ConocoPhillips works. Hey, let's do it. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, went with a little uh, different outfit today. All right. Uh, what else we got? Hey, Tech Monkey, what's happening? Where you been? Thoughts on longer-term investment WBA. Wow, look at that reversal. What happened there? I have to do some research on that. Was that options related or is there a piece of news there? Because there's your long-term uptrend in, in WBA. And I also like CVS. These two stories I think are really good stories. And I'm 100% with you on, on both of those ideas. And, of course, a distant third is going to be Rite Aid. But a distant third. I, I wouldn't buy Rite Aid. But um, – Walgreens and CVS. I, I, I like the ideas. The chart patterns look right. Um, so I, I just don't know where where do I where do I place that on my whiteboard? That's my only thing. I have a whiteboard. I know what sectors I want to own. I can't figure out where do I put that. Is that retail? I guess maybe it's retail. Um, not really special situations. I just don't know if they fit into the portfolio I'm building right now. I only have so many slots of stocks I can buy. I got to figure out what would it replace that I'm, that I'm already focused on. We're trying to create alpha, right? For dividends, it's a great idea. I'm with you on that 100%. All right. <laughs> hey, excellent. Carter. Great. I was wondering who, if you guys follow me on Twitter. I was just waking up this morning. My wife and I were just chatting and relaxing before the kids came upstairs and you know, jumped on us. And we were talking about, we were hungry, we were thinking of our favorite breakfast places. So I put up on Twitter the top five breakfast places, you know, in our opinion. Number one, you can see this on Twitter, and I'd love for you guys to respond and give me your ideas. I want to know what other places around the world. But number one, without a doubt, is the Four Seasons in Maui. Anybody who's been to the Four Seasons in Maui knows what I'm talking about. That meal is unbelievable at breakfast. Number two, King David Hotel in Jerusalem. Delicious. Check it out. Number three, uh, is this great little place in Vail, and I can't remember the name of it. If anybody knows the name of this place, please comment in the section below and let me know, okay? But 
it's a little place in Vale Village. And you, you sit on these, you know, it's like this bar that goes around in a U-shape or whatever, a horseshoe shape. And you sit at your bar stools and you get like the greatest corned beef hash and eggs that you could ever possibly imagine. And then you can just snowboard and bomb down the mountain all day long on that breakfast. And then um, New York City, I mean, I'm born and bred in New York, lived in New York for 14 years. You got to go to Bubby's um, uh, uh, downtown. Um, Bubby's is one of my favorite you know, breakfast places. You know, honorable mention, probably EJ's. Anybody who knows New York, the EJ's is probably honorable mention. And then um, just for the fun of it, you know, for some local flair, there's a place in Orlando in Winter Park called the Briar Patch that is just delicious. I you know, never expect it. So those are my top five. I'd love to hear yours. And it says, what's, what do you got here? Boca, Boca 2J's. 2J's. I don't know. <laughs> Come on now, man. Two, I got 2J's up here, too. 2J's is not going to make the cut, my friend. Not for me. It can for you if you want. But I'd like for you to try these five places around the world and then come back to me and tell me if you think 2J's makes it. All right? Uh, I love it. 2J's. I love it. Okay. Take a look at that spike in the two-year note. Yeah, um, I'm assuming you're talking about – and there's no doubt – there's no doubt. Um, oops, HYG, come on now. Which is the high yield. So I just, you know, there's so many different um, uh, instruments to look at. The two-year note, the 10-year note, the 20-year, blah, blah, blah. I just, they're all, they're all good. Um, you, you can look at that. I, these are the three things I look at. The high yield bond ETF. Okay, so when the market started to crash last year, you can see what happened to high yield bonds. It was ahead of the market. You know, just started to crater, okay? Actually, not actually right with the market, but in times past, it's been ahead of the market, okay? And then LQD, it's not necessarily that it has to be ahead of the market. It's just that if it's confirming the market breakdown, so look, at LQD took a while to, to confirm, and then it started to crash. So I just keep my eye on this thing. Sometimes it's the, the lead indicator, sometimes it's lagging. Last February, you could see LQD break down, and it led to a crush on the uh, innovative stocks. And this is why I think it's so important. It's not so much that rates can't go up a little bit, but the structure of your portfolio is incredibly important right now. If you overweight, for instance, smaller cap tech type of innovator names, and rates really go up, those stocks are going to get crushed. Meanwhile, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs can go through the roof in that environment. And all of those smaller cap brokerage stocks, they could go through the roof while you're getting crushed in your, you know, your, your small cap tech. So portfolio balance, I think, is very important in a market where, as you point out, there's spikes going on in the two-year note. Okay? It's either going to wreck the whole market or it's going to create a bifurcated market. And we don't want to be overexposed to the wrong group. All right? So that's why I'm spreading it around a little bit more. CWH, Camping World, <laughs> interesting, interesting idea, Camping World, but I feel like Camping World is the, an, the antithesis of economy reopening. People were doing this stock and having fun in this idea when the economy was shut, and I think that um, Expedia, Airbnb, um, um, Match, you know, um, those type of names are the names that are starting to attract capital 
as the economy kind of is reopening. That's my thesis there. So I'm not sure Camping World fits into my thesis. Uh, Riot's just a major underperformer. Um, and for the money, I think BitFarms is better than Riot. Just go look at look at the petahash rate. Look at the what what the companies are doing. BitFarms in particular is opening up um, uh, processes in Argentina at ridiculously reduced costs. I think their costs are dropping more than 25% on that uh, facility. So it's just very interesting to look at the valuations of these different names and find the one that fits. I mean, Mara's you know, far and away the leader, but I think um, BitFarms is, is pretty uh, compelling. So I'm going to continue doing work here, and I might find my way into that stock. I think that one reason it's trading uh, at a much lower valuation, one reason, is that they've just started trading on the NASDAQ. I think it started trading right back here. So they came to the U.S. market a little bit late. They were trading. There's a Canadian company, right? So they were in Canada. Now they're accessing U.S. capital markets. So interesting little idea there. Best breakfast at Wife's Kitchen. <laughs> I love it. All right. I mean, I'm coming, man. I'm coming. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll fly in. We'll try King David, and then we'll, we'll have breakfast with her. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Thoughts on uh, BIC? Beck, pen lighter. Oh, I see. Why? I know you talk, Ares, about her. I don't have any thoughts on that, brother. That chart is not a chart that would work for me, and it doesn't really trade any volume. So unless you're telling me there's about to be a um, a gamma squeeze coming from the um, Wall Street bets guys, I don't know what I would do with that stock. Can you share the stop loss? Oh yeah, great. Great idea. I'm glad you brought that up. And by the way, Ares, I'm sure your wife's cooking's better because I mean, what you you talk about those, you know, breakfast pastries every morning in the slack room. <laughs> I really, I really like to have one. All right, um, can you share stuff? Okay, let, let's take a look. I'm glad you brought up stop losses. So we're risk monitor green. We're putting capital to work. I've got five days to put that capital to work. Is the way the armor investing way works. So I don't have to put it all to work, to work immediately. I, I try to buy weakness over the next week. Um, so I get my allocation going. I've got more exposure, and now I've got some cash left over that I try to put to work on weakness in the next, the next five trading days. But there's a stop loss on all of these names, all right? Special situation stops are always the low of the day I bought it. That's my best stop. It works best on everything if I'm buying right. That's a big if, okay? So I have to be honest with myself did I buy right? I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, I didn't exactly buy AMD right, but I bought it anyway. So the stop I have to use, I have to be willing to accept more risk on AMD. Okay, you could pay up for it. I bought it here, okay? I bought it here. The real buy day to me is right there. Okay, I should have been adding it on the 13th, but we were still risk monitor red. I wasn't willing to do that. So if I added it on the 13th, the low of the 13th is my stop. If I add it on the 15th, the low of the 13th is my stop. So I have to accept more risk in that position. It might mean that you take a smaller position size, or it just might mean you're willing to take more risk. But you have to be honest with yourself. If I'm buying um, 
AMC, which we actually bought right here, okay, that is the correct buy day to me. So the low of the 14th is the stop. Now, if you want to look at the index stops, okay, the, um, the algos go positive. The, all the algos went positive on the 14th. And the way the um, risk monitor changes green is to get confluence that takes out the high of that risk on day, right? So we get risk on and we wait a day. We do that because sometimes you get risk on and the very next day is a reversal. And so we don't want to get trapped in that. So we want to make sure we take out the high of the risk on day, which is the 14th. We did that yesterday. We put capital to work, okay? So the low of the 14th is the stop day, is the stop. The low of the 14th is a stop on all of these investments. So you know, you, when you say on the 2x indexes, what I'll be doing on, like, here's SSO, right? So the low of this day is the stop. I'm not going to wait for a gap closure. You, some people might say the low should be, um, uh, right here should be the stop, okay? But I'm not doing that. In this case, on this particular setup, if it goes back below the 50-day moving average and takes out the low of that day, I'm out. So it's good that you brought this up, Bleachers, because you point out the two-year yield. We talk about the risk factors out there. I'm putting money to work anyway. I have stops on everything. If there's an immediate reversal next week, I'm out. I just got stopped out. And I lost some money. I go back to cash, and I wait for the next setup. And so when I'm doing a 2x index, I use the underlying index as the, as the stop. It should be the same, obviously, but sometimes there's a little differentiation, a little difference. Uh, so I just key off of SPY or I key off of QQQ. If we close below the low of the 14th, I'm out, okay? Aerospace defense. Boy, I can't touch a chart like that, my friend. Rich, that's... Um, an interesting chart pattern there. You're going to have to have um, a lot of cojones. I do like um, the defense stocks, though. I, I mean, I think Lockheed Martin could be bought. I just can't find room in my portfolio for defense stocks, but they look like they're on the move. And we, we bought Lockheed here. It rallied up, booked a profit, comes back down, sets up again. I, I should be in that again. I'm just not right now. Um, What's your other idea here? STRC? What is that? Uh, I, it's a robotics company. I just can't. I can't do these names like this. They're just too small. You're, you're sharing. You're sharing names, Rick. That are um, honestly. If there's a stock that trades only five thousand shares a day. I don't even begin to do research on it. It's not a liquid enough asset for me to put capital to work and be able to have confidence in a stop loss. Okay? So Armor Report. It's Armor for the Portfolios, Algorithmic Risk Management Research. And part of risk management is using stop losses but not diluting yourself. If you're dealing with a stock that trades 10,000 shares a day and it's a $5 stock, you can forget about your stop loss. I mean, it could open up down 50%. I mean, there's just nobody trading it. And I, I, if I can't figure out 
the right stop loss? How can I come up with the right reward to risk entry point? Because the risk is unlimited because the stop won't, won't work. And so I just can't trade it. Okay, so I, I wish you luck there, but be careful. Um, Valley, that's an interesting idea. I don't, I don't know. It's just so strange as to it. I should put this on the list because how can we have a commodity super cycle with Valley looking like that and Rio Tinto? I mean, these three stocks go together. Valley, Rio Tinto, and BHP. And they look god-awful. I don't know what's wrong with them. So I'm avoiding them for now. Here's a name I do like. It looks a lot better. That's kind of in the same space, and that's Tech Resources. You know, that's much better. I thought about buying tech, but I just focused all my attention on, on Freeport because it's set up better. That was just the best chart pattern that fit my eye. Um, and I'll tell you what, while we're on this topic, I, I have Caterpillar on my list. I don't see how we have a commodity super cycle without Caterpillar recovering from that sell-off. So I'm just waiting for that to go above the 200-day and give me an entry point. And I think the time to buy deer is right when they announce they're having major labor issues, right? So now there's an announcement right here, the stock, I bet the stock just bottomed. Who wants to, you know, um, remind me of this a month from now and, you know, either, um, you know, give me a, a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. But I bet Deere just bottomed the day they announced that their workers had gone on strike. Usually the day the strike news comes out, it's over. Because what's the next piece of news is going to come out? They resolve the strike and the stock pops up. And at the end of the day, there's a major revolution going on in farm equipment. Just ask a farmer. They'll tell you. The next cycle of farm equipment is going to come with AI. Automation. It's brilliant what's going on there. So commodity super cycle and the guys that push dirt and, uh, and, and, uh, and harvest and all that kind of stuff, those stocks should be really good. We may as well add TSCO to the list. So I'd really like to add these names if they can give me a risk on entry point. Yeah, I know. So, so but Valley, the, the chart's just not there yet. I don't know what the problem is. I have to go do some research on those three names because I'd like to own those three names, but those patterns look god-awful. I can't do it. VNW. I don't know what that is, man. Not showing up for me. I get I get invalid there, so... Your opinion on oh gosh you held the stock for a year shows above LPs the exact same pattern well that's because of institutional money and how it's run LD okay so when the leaders in the group and the biggest institutional names go down they all go down with them and that's just that's why we focus on groups here and group moves at the armor report understanding how institutions put capital to work is a major step towards becoming a better investor. So um, think about it this way. An institution running a billion dollars decides they want to own cannabis. They can't just go buy one stock. They're not going to just go buy Village Farms. They couldn't put the money to work in that one stock without blowing it out. So what they make is they make decisions based on groups, which is what I've been discussing with you guys today. Commodities, financial, tech, um, whatever else you like, okay? A crypto, it's a group. And then they divide the assets into the top four or five names. So you get group moves. 
So it's, it's, it's incredibly important to follow what the group is doing. And if the group's all going down, you can forget about your stock. I mean, seven out of 10 stocks follow the market in general. I bet eight or nine out of 10 follow the group because of the way institutions put money to work. So that's why you're struggling there. Uh, also, the fundamentals haven't been that great um, in Village Farms. Remember that gap down on earnings here, kind of a, kind of a miss right there. Um, I do like the Village Farms story. I just, and let me just be clear, everybody, most of you know me, know that I absolutely love cannabis as an investment theme, and I can't wait to own it again. And we made money on it at the Arm Report last year. So I can't wait to do it again. But we've been out of it. I mean, we've been out of these stocks for a long time, and it's because they're, they're locked in a downtrend. I know we talked about it at the Armour Report um, uh, in the Armour, uh, on the Armour Slack trading desk the last couple of weeks. Is it time to buy U.S. cannabis? I mean, the last time we owned U.S. cannabis, we, were, we got out right in here, okay? And then we put on a little trade right here, and we exited right there, okay? And we've been out ever since. We haven't touched it all the way back down, Okay? Our original entry point was here, and we, we, you know, we caught a massive move, okay? So I'm waiting for a double bottom to set up, and instead, this, this stock is making an all-time, you know, not all-time, but a new low in the downtrend. So there's no double bottom setting up. So on the one hand, I want to tell you, because of the ridiculous finan- uh, uh, um, legal situation in the U.S., institutions don't buy the U.S. MSOs. So before those U.S. names ever go up, we're going to have to see the Canadian names stop going down and probably go up ahead of the U.S. stocks. That's just the way it is. Even if you say to me, but they don't benefit from blah, 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 that doesn't make a difference. If, if people believe that cannabis is going to start going up, you better believe that Village Farms and, and, and Canopy Growth and all those names will start going up first because that's where it's easy for people to invest. And then they'll start differentiating by realizing, oh, wait a minute, I'd rather own Leaf. Okay, but it's harder. Some people can't even buy Trulief because of the way uh, of the legal situation here in the U.S. So um, long story short, it's a group move. The group's being dumped. We have um, complete and total ineptitude in Congress. So these stocks all ripped higher on the excitement that Congress was green, and now nothing can get done, so all of that air is coming out. And at some point, we're going to have an unbelievable bottom. And at the Armour Report, since we haven't lost any money in these stocks, we're going to load up on them. But it's just not now. It's just not now. I wish it was. Um, I'm going to go a little bit long today because, uh, oh, VMware, VMware, VMW. Ooh, VMware looks good. I'll write that one down. VMware and then the Dell. Thanks for that, Raymond. Thanks for that. Ooh, Dell looks good. Yeah, these are a couple of good, couple of good uh, tech names to put on the list. Like Bumble over Match. Okay. All right, let's take a look at that. Hey, Lena, good morning. ST. Oh, yeah. What's that story? I forget. I have to go take a look at that again. It's a good story. Yeah, yeah, this is a good idea. It's a good idea. Oh, I gotta put that back on my list. St. Thanks for that. Writing that one down. Situation in Bitcoin. My Evergrande, Evergrande situation coin. 
So Bitcoin I talked about, right, in case you're, you're, you're coming in late. Um, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see Bitcoin top this week on the excitement that there's an announcement of an ETF. Because I don't think it really moves the needle dramatically. Um, uh, and you'll see, it, you'll see it come back in is what I'm trying to say. There's a breakout above 60,000, maybe it comes back down to 50, 55,000. I don't know. Okay, Bitcoin's not my thing. So I'm just throwing my hat in the ring, my two cents, whatever you want to call it. You're asking me what I think. Uh, Evergrande situation. I don't, I don't really know how to read that situation, but I do know that if we watch LQD and HYG, the ETFs of high yield and corporate um, um, investment grade debt, you know, they'll tell us everything we have to know about Evergrande. If the Evergrande situation begins to seep into the rest of the debt markets, we've got a real problem in equities. Sometimes that seepage, though, can last a couple of months before equities wake up to what's going on. So it doesn't mean just because that happens, we have to sell equities. We use our stops, we put our positions on, and we let the market take care of itself. We let our stops take care of our positions. As long as we stay above stops, you know, we don't try to read the tea leaves. You know, but if the stops get hit, we get out because we know maybe there's something really wrong at Evergrande. I'm never going to know. You're not ever going to know. But the bond guys will know because they're great at managing risk. And so I just watch that closely. If we stay above lows, if we go into a bit of a downtrend, but it's not aggressive, okay, we're just bouncing around. But if we see some real aggressive moves lower in bonds and higher in yields, um, the weird thing is, though, I would expect treasuries to go up in that market. Did you, did you hear what I just said? Treasuries will go up in that market. You might see LQD and HYG going down and TLT go like this because people are afraid and they start hiding in U.S. treasuries. So that's something for us to watch. Hope that helps. Yeah, CRM looks great. Just a, just a real runaway. Been at the top of our list for a while, and the story's great there. Glad I can help. Uh, I, I, again, you may, you may be right on that, okay? Your comment here on, on retail and high tide and, and, and consumption of cannabis. But I would just draw you back to the comment, and it's really something that's important for all of you to learn and understand, okay? I've been doing this a long time. I've worked with institutions. I get it, okay? They move capital in blocks across a space, and it's just very hard to be that salmon swimming against the tide. It's very hard. So now's the time to do research. High tide might be a great idea when we see the whole group bottom out and we start to see higher lows, and then you can start to get alpha in a name like high tide. Okay? But fighting the tide of weakness in the whole group just isn't worth our time. So put it on your whiteboard, follow it, and wait. And we start to get higher lows in MJ, we can start looking at these names, right? MJ will be the first place to look for higher lows. If it starts to make higher lows, 
then we start to look for what are the best names we might want to own in cannabis. And let me just share this one idea with you. I wrote, uh, you know, and I just got to tell you this, it really hurts, it really hurts, but it hurts because I didn't maximize my gains on it. I do have, I own uh, IIPR in a, in a dividend portfolio where all I do is collect the yield, and it's been the greatest investment um, uh, in my portfolio, okay? And I wrote this back on December 31st, 2019, if you all remember this. I said this is going to be the number one pot stock to own in 2020. The number one pot stock to own in 2020 is going to be Innovative Industries, IIPR. So take a look at IIPR's chart pattern. And full disclosure, I own it. I owned it all the way through, even through the crash, because I'm just picking up the dividend yield. And that portfolio, I just, I just collect yield, and, and um, I, don't, I don't manage the risk as aggressively as I probably should. I mean, it makes me a little sick when the market does that. But um, it's a Raymond-type portfolio. <laughs> Raymond, are you still on here? So anyway, I um, uh, so this is, I wrote this piece back here. I did a video about it. You can find it on YouTube. And it is, without a doubt, the best performing cannabis stock for the last two years, for the last two years. It's a sadness that I don't own it in all my portfolios, right? It's just something, a piece of my dividend portfolio, and it just keeps going up. The fact that it still looks good is is probably a problem for the cannabis stocks because their company is they're a REIT, right? And they, they help facilitate cannabis growth through um, sale leasebacks. And um, when nobody else is willing to lend to the cannabis space, these guys do it and they make a killing off of it. When this stock breaks down, we're probably getting close to cannabis stocks going up because it'll mean there's legislation coming. My guess is this story's over when the State Banking Act is passed. Just a guess. Walgreens had good earnings. Oh, okay, that's why the stock popped. Okay. Okay, cool. So Walgreens, that, that's, the chart looks great, and the dividend is solid. So um, I'm going to do some more research on it. Maybe I pop it into my dividend portfolio. So, okay, this is from our conversation about CBS. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I like That's where I go. Iron ore. So is that why the stocks are all down? Iron ore is getting wrecked. Against, eventually, it'll recover. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Um, that's a good question. I, I'm about to figure out what part of their business. Um, but my guess is it's not going to affect it dramatically. Um, um, Stephen, I don't think that will affect it dramatically. Because there's a lot, by the way, um, you know why? Because there's a lot of um, deer, you know, EV uh, lawnmowers and blowers that are going to come out. You know, I can get a blower now that's EV. It's probably a higher margin product for deer. It's probably going to be bullish. Um, what, what two stocks were you talking about? I don't know. I lost track of our conversation. We're going long today. It's already been an hour and 18 minutes, but... Um, there's pound here. Hey, Raymond, you own J. So now we're in the, oh my God, I, I oh, this is like a, a monumental moment for anybody who's watching this. Raymond and I are in agreement. We both own J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. That's confluence. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent, man. 
Hey, you're welcome, LD. Thanks for joining. Hey, everybody, this has been so much fun. I'm going to end it on that note. Okay, that was, uh, <laughs> that was lots of fun. J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs. Let's, um, let's have a great weekend. Rest up, do your homework, and get ready for the action, you know, Monday morning. Um, I'll just wrap up by telling you that when I get long the market like this, I am out there every day looking to scalp the market from the short side. We use Armour algorithms to do it. We've been crushing it the last few weeks, last few months. And I share a lot of the times, obviously, you want to be an Armour Insider and subscribe if you want to see me do it, right? Because I share my screen for Armour Insiders and we walk through the process. We put trades on and I'll update in the Slack room as I go when I'm looking at profit, where my stops are. But I'm also, you know, every now and then I tweet out, hey, I'm putting a short out um, uh, to hedge. In fact, we talked about it. And I'll wrap up on this one thought for those of you who are still with me. Um, those of you who are still with me, this was a trade we put on in the Armour Slack room. Actually, even in, even in the Spot Gamma Slack room, I, I, on the Discord and Spot Gamma, I shared it with everybody. So this is a classic setup for us on the short side. IWM gapped up in the morning right to a key gamma level. This is a three-minute bar chart. So each bar is three minutes right? Red down, blues up, obviously. All the other lines on the screen are part of the Armour Price Movement Profiler algorithm, the Armour PMP. Black dots are the VWAP. Purple dashes are uh, spot gamma locations. So market opened at a spot gamma location, in this case, the call wall, which is generally a great place to get short. Market sold off, rallied up, failed right at the VWAP on the call wall and was down the rest of the day. I made a little bit of money on this trade. I didn't make nearly as much as I should. And so I'll leave you with this note, particularly when you're day trading, but when you're investing, period. Take your position, know your stop, walk away. If the stop's not violated, let the trade express itself to its fullest extent. It's my last thought for you. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you next week. Take care. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.